0: All right,
1: welcome into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. We've got Ben Dowsett singing along in the background. I love Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> is this a, is this his best song to you? Uh, no, but this is the most popular song. Okay, fair. What what is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? My
0: favorite Jimmy Buffett song is actually uh, it's well, always was Come Monday for uh, for years and years when I was a kid. But in the recent years, I've really started to enjoy a, a Grateful Dead cover, actually Uncle John's band. Okay. That he does yeah.
1: Okay, cool. Um, So, today we're going to get right into the podcast, um, right into our guest. Our guest today is Lane Vashro. He does um, statistical projections of both NCAA and international prospects. And given what's going on around the Jazz right now, um, with all the international guys who just played in the FIBA World Cup, as well as uh, the drafting of Dante Exum and Rodney Hood, we wanted to kind of get the statistical perspective on, you know, what we can kind of expect from these guys based on their body of evidence thus far. So, Lane, are you there? Yes, I am. Cool. Okay. So, first of all, I I guess let's start talking about each of these guys. Uh, You only recently went into the international side of things. Is that right? Yeah. Just to
2: summarize, I've... I've put out my first few international
1: models. So, uh, I mean, the Jazz have a lot of these guys, like I mentioned. They've got Rudy Gobert, Raul Neto, um, Ante Tomic, if you want to count him. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. Dante Exum, obviously. Thank you. Um, And then Rodney Hood, who he just drafted. Um, Let's go ahead and kind of break down your scouting opinions of those guys, if you don't mind. Does that work for you?
2: Yeah, that works well.
1: Okay, so let's... Um, uh, I'm looking at one of your projections just based on the stats in the FIBA World Cup, and it looks like you really like Raul Neto.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, again, especially when we're, when we're looking at the, at the World Cup numbers, um, sample size is a huge issue. These are, these are really small samples, and one really hot game, which I think is what happened with Neto there, um, can heavily influence the, the projections. Um, but he did come out from the World Cup as one of the better players in terms of what his performance means about his future, just from that one event.
0: Now, Lane, we had Lane on uh, back in the the very early days of the SCH podcast before we were in the ESPN studios, and and back then we were talking Lane, of course, about your your NCAA models. How the just for the for the listeners that weren't uh, listening back then, do you want to just, just a super brief? kind of an explanation of how you get your model going just so they kind just so they can kind of know what we're doing the baseline here from
2: right well so I take as, as much information as I can from the history of players who are coming from different leagues the NCAA or different international leagues and and the numbers they put up there and what those what those meant in terms of their performance in the NBA and I use that to you know use a Regression models to use that to find the importance of different things in different leagues for projecting how good a guy's going to be. Um, so it's just it's a, it's a it's an objective way of using the history of guys moving from one league to another to project future players.
1: And you've been pretty accurate with this uh, thus far, right? I, if I understand right, you're you're beating the performance of the actual NBA GMs in some cases.
2: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it, it's hard to to define a, a really fair way to to make that comparison but any reasonable way that I've looked at it it's at least doing as as well as actual decision makers.
0: Um, I I think the difficulty there right if I'm not mistaken right Lane is finding a universally accepted measure of NBA performance that correlates with that that most people can agree upon is that yeah that's one of the areas?
2: Yeah 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 that's a big one and then it's um you know, and then it's hard to compare. You know, the models giving very specific numbers for what it expects out of a player. Um, you're not really given the same with uh, with drafting because you just get the position. So, I mean, obviously nobody thinks Anthony that scouts thought Anthony Davis and Anthony Bennett are equal prospects, but it's hard to find a way to actually capture that. Statistically. So it makes it difficult to do those sorts of things.
1: Right. GMs aren't saying, you know, I expect Anthony Bennett to put up 10 win shares next season or something like that. They're never that concrete with their predictions. The only way you can tell what their predictions are is just when they draft certain guys.
2: Exactly. So what I can say is that if you take, if you take my numbers, you rank them year by year, and you compare them to the actual draft, draft order ranking, My numbers do a better job of predicting their performance, with their performance defined as the way I'm defining it in building my model. So it's so it's a a very specific way of saying this is a good player, this is a bad player. I think it's one that um, people would have a really easy time agreeing with. So I don't feel too uncomfortable with that, but it's.
0: important qualifier. And that, that, that particular statistic, we won't bore our our, 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 re, our listeners yeah. too much, but that's stati- it's a combination of, of uh, uh, an RPM style metric, correct, along with also a box score metric, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, wind
2: win shares in, in our RPM. So okay. it's, it's a... It's
0: pretty general. OK. So, it combines kind of a little bit of both. For those statsy that are listening, there's they're kind of both those worlds, people who are more RPM influence in terms of a player's impact on and off the court, and then there's, of course, the box score stats and accumulation stats and things like that. This kind of takes into account a bit of both of them. One other little statistical thing that I really enjoyed. Now, Lane did, a uh, for those interested, on, on Nylon Calculus, uh, mm-hmm. part of Hardwood Paroxysm, did a three-part series on this, these international models, and then another follow-up two-part series on some of the best uh, international players that we've never seen in the NBA, which was really fun, If you, if, especially if you're into international basketball. And in part one, you did these box score transformations, um, which I found really intriguing. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the process that went into those and what those are?
2: Yeah. Um, so one of the big difficulties with doing any sort of uh, projections of international players is that, there isn't you know one magical international league that everybody plays in. There's a bunch of different top tier leagues. Um, then there's sub leagues where there's the competitions between top teams within those leagues, and then there's global competitions like the World Cup, um, the Olympics, and then there's junior competition. I mean there's there's a huge world of different things, and the, the level of competition and the, the the style of play is gonna vary a lot between those. So to make it to make my projection model better, I want to find a way to standardize across all of those leagues. And the nice thing is that there's a lot of players who are playing in multiple different comp- different um, leagues within the same year. So it allows you to look at those guys and see how do their numbers change between those two leagues on net. So on average across all the guys who are doing that, and then use that to adjust everyone's statistics to some sort of base, you know, a standardized
0: uh, box score. Definitely. Now, did you? What were some of the largest takeaways from that? In turn, just in terms of like for just for the average person at home, if I'm so if I'm watching a a FIBA Europe tournament or if I'm watching an Olympic tournament, even for example, or if I'm just watching some you know some Spanish ACB, what what can I expect to from these? What can I find? What can I gauge from that about the real encored impact of certain things that are going into the game? Right.
2: Well, I mean, so I mean, there's some some sort of specific stuff like. The French League is um, is really pass-happy, so guys are going to be collecting more assists than they would in most other leagues. And this is actually part of, I've heard this is argued, as part of the why, reason uh, San Antonio likes to target French players, because they come from a very pass-happy environment. Hmm. Um, there's, uh, the, Itali- the Italian League gets a lot of steals. That might have less to do with play style, and it might have to do with uh, slippery scorekeeping. <laughs> um, they they have a habit of, uh, especially for for a few years there, they would credit a steal, on every time the ball, um, there was a turnover. So you'd get these Jedi steals where nobody actually did anything, but, but they get credited for it because there was a turnover. Huh. Um, the Olympics are, are, are a very high level of competition. I mean, if, if a guy does well in the Olympics, that's a that's a big deal. It's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a higher level of competition than, than any of the European leagues. Um, the World Cup is also a pretty high level competition. There's huge variance in those, though because you also get your your terrible teams that make it because of
0: because of what continent they're on. Yeah, how much? Um, oh, sorry, but you keep going. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, no, no, I know.
2: The, 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 the sorry, we gave you the, this, the that, Skype. That the junior, junior competitions are. Um, are considerably easier. So doing well in a junior competition is not terribly impressive. You have to dominate for that to have much meaning.
1: Um, yeah, we should mention Lane is coming to us from Germany this morning, so we appreciate you coming from halfway across the world onto on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> a little bit of a time delay. <laughs> so I, I want to ask, you know, I we talked about Raul Neto a little bit, and I... I Want to go into Dante Exum because I think that's the main thing where you're going to be controversial amongst jazz fans, right?
2: <laughs> I I think I will, and I really want to. I really want to like Dante Exum too. So I've been a bit disappointed with the way he's been uh, turning out in my numbers.
1: So tell me, I I mean, what is it about Dante Exum's statistical projections that turn out to be not ideal?
2: Well, uh, it's really it's it's not so much anything specific it's just that he 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 hasn't been very special statistically at at any point i mean so his he got all of his hype because of his world his uh junior world world uh, cup champion championship performance which was good um but like i just said for junior competitions you have to be really special and there wasn't anything truly special about what he was doing so he was good enough to to put him on the prospect map um but according to my model it, it, you know he was not in the same level as somebody like a um, like a Ricky Rubio was when he was doing junior competitions, or a Dario Sark, or any of these guys. Um, and then, uh, and then even just within the World Cup we just had, I mean, if you compare him to somebody like Marcus Smart, who was he, he, was a year older, but he had a much more dominant performance on the on the same, you know, on that same scene.
0: Yeah, I think people forget that Marcus Smart has had international experience and that's that and all players that even players that were in the NCAA Uh, if they had international experience, you factored them in as part of your models. And so you were in the – one of the things you were talking about here was your – I'm hearing a little bit of echo coming in on me. But yeah, uh, you're you're – so you talk about XM as among this group of international men of mystery, kind of these guys that that really there's not a whole lot of information to work with. But at the same time, I'm seeing that uh, less than 100-minute samples seem to correlate nearly similarly with – over a 1,000-minute sample. So is that kind of a way of saying that even though the sample sizes are really small here, there's a chance that the models are similarly accurate just because those same sample size issues also affect other forms of scouting that are, that are common, like watching tape or watching a player in person, things like that? Right.
2: Yeah, well, and this is something I, I'm still I'm, – I'm kind of I'm, – I'm really surprised, I guess, by how, how good predictions are on really small sample sizes. Um, at least among this international data, and I'm I'm still hoping to do some more work in there to really figure out what's going. on. But part of it is just basketball is a really stable sport. Um, things like rebounding, blocking, steals—most of the statistics you rack up—it it doesn't take long for those to stabilize. The only the only really volatile numbers are um, shooting numbers, especially three-point shooting. Everything else, um, it's it's surprisingly stable, especially you know compared to other sports like baseball or something like that. Um, no, that doesn't mean we we don't want to run away with a 100-minute you know, sample. I think it's he'll, he'll, healthy to be skeptical of that and maybe give more weight to um, to professional scouting evaluations. So that's why, especially before the draft, I, I still was not very down on Exum because of that. Um, I'm starting to get more negative because of his performance since then. But.
1: Well, let's talk about that. So his performance since then, the it's just the lack of... Playing time in the World Cup, or then is it also that he didn't perform very well in the minutes that he then played in the World Cup?
2: Yeah, well, well it's also you know he shot what thirty percent in summer league and str- struggled to you know I, I believe gotcha. he had a sub one assisted turn. I mean he did he, he didn't do well in that environment either. Um, and uh, and then and then yeah you throw the World Cup on and you know when when you getting minutes against Angola is used as evidence that your team is throwing the match. That's that, <laughs> was.
0: <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't um, so good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, and yes, he's young and that's really important. And that's factored into everything and it adds a whole layer of, of, um, sort of noise and chance to the whole thing, because it is, it is really hard to look at a guy who's that young, especially one who's been playing in a, I'm assuming less structured, league and training facilities and that kind of thing um but from what we actually see what he's doing on the court even at his age he should be doing more you know uh ricky rubio at at 17 in the in, in the olympics got serious minutes like real minutes on arguably the best international team in history that didn't come from the united states that spanish team um and that's i mean so, so that's what we're looking at. That's what he's being compared to his situations like that. He should be doing something at this point, especially on an Australian team, um, and he should be putting up decent numbers. The standard is, is much lower than it is for older players, but he hasn't reached even that standard.
1: Now, Lane, do you do the... I know for the NCAA prospects, you do the bust, star, starter kind of breakdowns where you give kind of a approximate percentage for whether or not a guy's going to be, well, a star or a bust in the NBA or a starter or a bench player. Do you do that same thing for international prospects?
2: I haven't done it yet. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at trying to do it. The sample size might not be enough for me to be comfortable with it. I, I still have to see. I haven't tried it yet. So I don't have anything. Okay. No.
0: Okay. Now, okay. So this is this is a question, uh, sort of a general question that, that at the same time, does Exim is sort of a perfect example of this type of a question. When so you look at your type of data as a, as something that we could potentially use, maybe maybe a, a public scout could or an NBA scout could use as a, a supplement to their the things they're seeing personally and the things they're hearing and the people they talk to. What about the converse side of that? What sort of more traditional scouting evaluation do you think? Kind of best supplements your models that that the things that maybe your models are sometimes missing are not fully capturing the things we can learn most by watching.
2: Right. Well, I think um, one of the one of the easy ones and one that I one that I do have evidence is important is athleticism. Um, if if you're especially um, you know leaping ability, maybe quickness, wingspan, those kind of things, size. Those matter. Um, they hurt the box score, and they're they're quantitative, so I can actually I can pull them in, and actually demonstrate that they matter statistically. So that's why they're an easy one to highlight. There's certainly other things, so, um, though.
0: Definitely. Well, so that bodes a little I, well for Exim, right? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that's that's a plus for them. Um, and I, well, I don't have any proof that that it actually adds to it. I I do. Have a general belief that you know the concept of tools and stuff like that has to matter. You know, if a guy has, you know, he at least has has what looks like a shot to be developed on. He, you know, he he seems comfortable running the pick and roll, even if you know he he doesn't it doesn't turn out as well. Then you know, there I I believe that those kind of things matter. It's it's difficult to weight them against the more objective stats that you know numbers that we have, but I I I don't feel comfortable throwing any of that out entirely either.
0: Definitely, the sort of in, "quote unquote" intangibles, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, the other thing with Exim is that, at least that I, from your the standpoint of your models, that I take to be a positive is that you'd mentioned before shooting is one of the the, the more the the most volatile areas, and that's kind of one of the areas he's lacking. And we're, I guess jazz for jazz fans everywhere, we're kind of hoping that that ends up being one of his more his more volatile areas that he kind of improves quickly, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's if 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 my sort of my my best simple heuristic for picking out a, a good draft pro would be to get a guy that is good at everything but shooting, but at least looks like he could eventually become a shooter because it's it's the most likely thing to change. So pretty a much lot the Orlando model. Yeah. exactly. I like the Orlando model. They may have gone too extreme. Um, <laughs> it's but, yeah, it's pretty well,
0: extreme. <laughs> yeah. Because you also can't assume that every player is going to improve that way the idea of volatility means that some players do and some players don't so that you know, on that scale you're definitely going to have the ones that don't and if they've got like five of them right then eventually some of them aren't going to right. but hopefully they the right ones do and if it's the guards or whatever they could be in pretty good shape i guess
2: yeah and, and you got to worry i mean there's probably some threshold too i mean when a guy's not many players in history only shot 40 percent free throws like uh Aaron Gordon did, and at some point you really got to wonder. Yes, shooting is volatile; shooting is more likely to turn around. But when you have a guy that's
0: that bad, it's it's really hard to be optimistic about it. Three point shooting can be in certain. i say that s- some Oh, sorry. Uh, three point shooting in certain sample sizes can be more uh, accurately predicted by free throw rate or free throw percentage. Correct.
2: Yeah, I actually I found that. Um, uh, free throw percentage, three point attempts and three point percentage in college have almost exactly equal predictive power for three point percentage in the
1: pros. That's crazy. So, you you're telling me that if I am a great three point shooter but a bad free throw shooter, you know, I have like mixed prospects for being a good three point shooter in the league or you know, or if I'm a great free throw shooter but I don't take any threes, then I, I may become a good three point shooter in the league. I mean I, I that just seems counterintuitive to me, but it's a cool result.
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely what I find, um, and it seems to work um, within the NBA between years too. It's it's huh. uh, it helps sort of stabilize things because three point percentage really can be so noisy that it helps to have those other things in the picture.
0: And did you find that same thing for your internet for international? Have you even looked at it for international or? I have- I have not specifically did an
2: international. No, I did say I, I should do it because it wouldn't be difficult for me to do, it, and it'd be interesting if I found the same pattern.
0: Definitely, I, I well, I just had one sort of the, the interesting little question here. You, you, I would talk if we talked before about the box score transformations and all the different leagues, European leagues. Did you, by chance, were you able to find one, or was there one or two that that sort of? closely lined up with college in terms of the set that your models and the way they translate to NBA performance or were there really none that were a close comparison? Like, are there leagues that we could look at and say, okay, this is similar to to NCA college level play?
2: Hmm. I, I can't say. Um, I, I think it's, it's possible to do because we have a lot of players who go from N, from NCAA straight to, to Europe and we can, we can look at their numbers from one to the other. Um, I haven't looked at it basically because I've only been really interested in guys who play in the same leagues within the same year, and you don't get that for college in, in Europe. Um, but that doesn't mean that's a problem that you can deal with. So it's something I should look at, but I haven't.
0: That'd be, I'd be, I definitely would be interested to see that. I feel like, in, intuitive. What do you think intuitively? Right? Like, does to me, I would think that maybe the Spanish league would maybe just be a slight level above. College, like if I'm, if, and this I'm basing that just completely off a uh, total off the top of my head. You probably watch more international basketball than me. Would that does that sound about right to you, or would they maybe be a little closer to even? I think I I think the Spanish league is 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 quite a bit more difficult than
2: college. Okay. Um. Yeah. But but it's it's weird. There. I mean the the I don't think it's I don't think that tells the whole story to just say that because um. Um. There may be more variance in college. The better players are better, but the worst players are a lot yeah. better in Europe.
0: That's kind of I, what I think was that thinking.
2: Probably at it more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the so there's a much higher floor, but not the same ceiling. You don't get, you know, you're you're not going to have Kevin Durant um, in in your. Well, I mean, obviously, you do get guys at that level every once in a while, but we're approaching it,
1: but rarely. <laughs>
2: Yeah, very rarely. Yeah, generally speaking, I mean the the young talent, the young talent in college is so much is much better. The problem is that they're they're young. Uh, where you have you know guys who were the best the best player on their college team, one of the best you know players in their conference at least as a senior, and now they're 26 at their peak performance, and those are some of the top players in Europe. So to put some perspective on it.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, I have two more players I want to ask you about specifically. Uh, first one is Rudy Gobert, and your uh, just FIBA World Cup win projection for him is is not great. It's a three point two expected wins produced, um, and, and you know, and that's around the Gustavo Ayon, Bogdan, Bogdan, Bogdan Bogdanovic. Uh, I love that name. <laughs> in that <laughs> realm. And, I, you know, we've been talking about his great FIBA performance, but I think it's been mostly on the defensive end that we've been so impressed with it. Uh, first of all, do you think that's a accurate reflection of where Rudy Gobert's World Cup performance is? And, B, I guess, do you think your model can model the defense as well as it can on uh, as the offensive side?
2: Right. Well, it, it doesn't model the defense as well. Um, at the same time, for a guy like Gobert, I think it's, Almost as likely to overcredit him on defense as, as it is to underappreciate because one of the few things you can capture with the statistics is blocking. So, so not only is the guy who block shots going to get credit for the block shots, but also it says something about defense overall. So, usually if you're getting those block shots, you're a good defensive player. So that, and that's, that's being um, worked into it. So, so yes, it absolutely could be missing if, if we think that there's some reason to believe that. Um, other guys who block similar number of shots, get a similar number of steals, are inferior defenders in other ways to Rudy Gobert. Um, that's the angle you'd have to take to try and um, expect that he's better. Now, so it's... And in terms of his World Cup... So, he, he, yeah, he scored a 3.2 in his World Cup performance. In his um, almost 2,000 minutes, or 7, 1,750 minutes prior to being drafted, he scored a 3.3. So he's actually... okay perfectly in line with his um, historical, you know, what his production looked like um, before the drafts. So, and so as far as the model's concerned, his number of production, he's right along the projection curve that he was expected to do.
1: So we, we might be making a mistake by hyping up this performance. Really, it's just kind of in line where we knew Rudy Gobert was before.
2: Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so at least by, by the numbers. And so if you think that there's something... Um, outside the numbers that, that makes him better than that, then yeah, I think it's probably maybe maybe, uh, maybe that's stayed the same or maybe he's improved on the things that the models isn't catching and that's why he, your subjective impression is more optimistic.
1: Gotcha. Okay, and the other player I wanted to ask you about was uh, Rodney Hood. So, I mean, we haven't had a chance to talk about him since the draft. Uh, your models were not a fan of him. I believe he had it like ranked 76th or something like that out of last year's <laughs> draft class. Um, I, I mean, tell me about why that is. Why the stats don't like Rodney Hood?
2: Yeah. Um, well, it, it goes right back to um, what we were talking about earlier: is that uh, shooting is super noisy, and um, along with that, it doesn't translate. You know, scoring in general and shooting in particular don't translate particularly well between weeks. Um, that's pretty much all all that Rodney Hood does. Um, <laughs> okay. So. In, in everything that the model says, I know this translates. He's going to be able to do this. He's going to be able to do that. Um, he's he he, he was a very weak prospect. I, I mean, I think he he's, he had okay assist numbers. I think if I remember correctly, but generally speaking, he was he was very poor outside of his, his uh, deep shooting and his. Um, I think he could run the pick and roll all right, that kind of thing. But he he doesn't do the things that he should be doing um, at his age, especially against college
0: college players. Steal rate is a big one for him as well, right? The fact that his wingspan is basically the same as his height, and that's kind of unusual for NBA prospects. You generally see it a few inches longer, and as a result, he doesn't really get many steals.
2: Yeah, and and his steal rate was real bad, and I think people appropriately jump on the steal rate stuff sometimes and say, oh, well, you know, steals aren't, aren't everything on defense. You know, well, one, steals say stuff about more than just defense, and in the case of Right, you know, there's 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 not a lot of people who argue he's much of a defender, and from what I've seen, he's he's quite terrible on that end. So I I mean I I, I really um I I was not a fan of him as a prospect. I'll, I'll
0: say that. <laughs> so this was a case where you both I your models. Out. <laughs> yeah, this is a case where both your your models and your own personal evaluation kind of weren't too high on him. It's not not like an exum where maybe one you yeah. you at least have a little bit of optimism from what you've seen
2: yeah exactly yeah I, I i believe the numbers in his case, but i'm you know we'll see what happens um, at least he has he, he he looks like he has one scale in the shooting assuming that translates so and it's a highly desirable one
0: the free throw rate's good, so hopefully, if that's the predictor, then hopefully that's gonna or the free throw percentage of course then hopefully that's going to stay right. good yeah and and certainly the things like his those if I'm not mistaken things like his wingspan and his reach and and that stuff those are calculated as part of your models right
2: in the in the the uh, star percentage model. Oh right, Spanish okay. In, in in the in the standard EWP, it's it's only box box score and then height and weight.
0: Oh I, man, I, I see zero percent uh, star percentage here. For Rod- <laughs> that's oh man, zero percent star percentage. Well, don't
1: expect a star, jazz fans. I I I think that's fair to say. I don't know. I never had really any hopes for Rodney Hood to become like an all-star level player.
0: And seven, we got 7% yeah. starter. Okay, 7%. Woo. <laughs> yeah, I don't think even his biggest fans have sold him as a star. It's a, yeah.
2: He's sort of the guy who's coming and shoot the ball.
1: Let me ask, outside of j- Jazz prospect land, can you throw out some names that your model does really like, um, either international or just from last year's draft class that we should be watching out for um, as this preseason and well, season gets uh, going?
2: So what what what's the status of Dante Tomic? Is he is he not going to be is is he because he got a good deal with Barcelona? He's not going to be coming over. What's what's the talk around the
1: everything I land? hear around Jazzland says that he's not coming over anytime soon. And I would honestly be surprised if he ever does come over.
2: That's that's a shame because he is actually on the short list of. European players nearing their prime or in their prime who I think could have a serious impact right now. Um, he's actually, I think on my, my current ratings, he's second only to, uh, Nikola Mirtik for, wow. um, for current prospects, you know, in that class. So he, he, grades out as somebody who could, who could come over and potentially start, um, right away. So that's,
0: that's too bad
2: if, if hmm. the talk isn't in favor of him coming
0: over. Now I'm a little more sad about that. I was kind of just thinking of that as like a foregone conclusion. We've we've actually, Lane, we've mentioned that kind of in previous weeks. We've been on the international subject, and we've we've kind of just assumed it's a foregone conclusion. He's not coming, and we got which is still the same case. But it's uh, he's being looked at very positively by uh, by these types of models. Huh. <laughs> <Damn. laughs>
2: Shed uh um in terms of in terms of uh upcoming guys um well the so the big names this this uh for this draft are going to be um Mario Visonia the Croatian who he he uh he plays for Barcelona he was actually on the Croatian team although he got very few minutes and did not perform well um but uh he's overall his uh his production in the international competition has been very very good he looks like I think he looks like a guy who could end up being a, a really great NBA player. Um, and he's being talked about as a definite top ten pick.
0: Down the line, what about yep. uh, what's what's the name of the guy? Uh, dragon Bender. What's the, I just like Dragon I Pender. just I just like the name because I I, I it's in this is in part uh, I believe part three of your series on nylon calculus uh, and he yeah he's he, you would say I, I I would say don't forget the name Dragon Pender but I doubt you will which is a, <laughs> yeah, which is a, a pretty good point I'm not forgetting that name uh, he you have him correct at the fourth highest rating ever for a player under eighteen in the Euro champion at uh, the junior Euro Championships
2: yeah yeah I mean so he's a He's only 16 years old, and he he um, was one of the better players at the in the under under 18 European Championship tournament. So we're talking about a young guy here. There's still a lot of time. But the guys on the list who performed, you know, who scored similarly are all names that people know. It's you know, it's uh, I forget exactly who they were. I'm, I'm looking. At, I'm looking at. It.
0: Yeah, it's Rubio, Splitter, Deng, and Andre Kirilenko, are the are the rest of the top five.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so, it's, so yeah, we're, we're, it's early to get excited about anybody, but there's not a lot of, uh, a lot of misses when, when you're talking about that level of
0: outlier performance. These days, that's the um, thing. He's, yeah, he's gone. Like, I want to be excited <laughs> about a 16-year-old. Is there not a 14-year-old somewhere in <laughs> Europe that's going crazy that I can be excited <laughs> about? Like, I want to be the first on a bandwagon, personally.
2: Yeah, well, he's a good one. Jump on, jump on the Dragon Bender oh, I'm
0: there. bandwagon.
1: So that
2: would yeah, be actually the um,
1: 2017 draft class, right? think so so that's when the jazz have yeah, the golden state yeah. pick that's when they have all these other kind of draft selections that maybe will somehow work out so that the jazz will one day get dragon bender I'm, the savior of the I'm franchise there
0: already dragon bender <laughs> 20 2021 finals mvp for the utah jazz i'm already there like it's it's already happened in my mind yeah
2: no i i can't wait until dragon bender and Thon maker are the two best players in the nba that's just a that's <laughs> pretty awesome work. but uh
1: all right, well, Lane, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we really appreciate it. Where can we find all the rest of your models and your work? Right,
2: well, I, I, um, I actually just started a website. It's pretty bare bones right now, and it's, uh, but it's a good link dump for all my articles and uh, my models. I'm going to keep putting stuff there. And it's just lanevashro.com, uh, L-A-Y-N-E-V-A-S-H-R-O.com.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, I'll be checking it out. I've got it bookmarked. Thanks again, Lane, for joining us. All
2: right. Thanks for having me. Have a good one.
1: Dragon Bender. Dragon Bender. He's you my guy. heard it here first. <laughs> really I- <laughs> first. Like, <laughs> extremely first. Yeah. I don't know that there's another jazz podcast out there that you've heard the name Dragon Bender on. <laughs> or, you know, whatever basketball show you listen to, Dragon Bender, is the pr- he's the
0: future. Plus, he's got a great name. He oh, He has an awesome name.
1: Yeah. So uh, tell me what you think. First of all, uh, I have less faith in Lane's international evaluations than I do the NCAA ones, just because I think there are more there are more errors that are possible because you've got to translate the stats and then you've got to then make a prediction on them, rather than just a one-step process of kind of you know there are so many guys who go from college to the NBA that you have a lot of data points there, and there are way fewer that go from the various international basketball leagues to the NBA, you just have fewer data points to work with. I think it's just going to be harder to be accurate with those international evaluations.
0: Yeah, and of course, you know, neither of us is a statistician on, on Lane's level, uh, especially not myself, And but... Yeah, I think of course the natural inclination is that with less information, there's you can be less sure about the the results. Essentially, now certain, like we were discussing within the pod, certain certain bits of that don't appear to be the case. Like there's certain correlations that appear very similar when you look through. But again, those are numerically oriented only, and there and there's there's always aspects as I'm sure Lane would be the first to admit. There's always aspects of the game that you can't necessarily capture through things like that. You can't, for example, one thing I I, I meant to ask him and didn't get to. You can't really capture something that we Talked about last week with Exum in the in the FIBA tournament, like when when we had Dan Clayton on about you know it's not their coach's job to be developing a guy like Dante Exum. It's not even their coach's job to even really pay too much attention to a guy like Dante Exum. Right. How does that differ from a situation when he's getting over here to Utah and he's going to have the focus of the coaching staff squarely on him from day one?
1: And that's going to be the interesting thing, I think, with Dante is that. It- you know, the comp there that Lane brought up is Ricky Rubio, who mm-hmm. did a whole lot better in his World Cup performances and did a whole lot better as a, as a youth international. But then Ricky Rubio kind of failed to develop overseas as he didn't have that sort of developmental attention put on him that I think Dante Axum will get in the NBA. I, that to me is the hope that, you know, sure, R- Ricky Rubio had a higher starting point, but I think Dante Axum can have a better developmental curve.
0: Yeah, and I think that sort of stuff is, as any any statistical modeler would tell you, is gonna just gonna be really tough to chart in general, <laughs> right. if not completely impossible.
1: Right. I, I mean, maybe you can say guys who jump over to the NBA quickly, like you know, let's say a Dirk Nowitzki, maybe develop better than guys who spend a, a longer time in uh, overseas. You know, Ricky Rubio. When did he jump over? When he
0: was 22 or 20? 20... It was he spent a couple years there for sure after after being drafted. Right. Yeah. Um, and I you know I think that goes back kind of to oh sorry I went away from the microphone. Uh, the kind of the the just the difficulty in general of these of these sort of things and because there's so much little particular so many little particulars that could go into that there's what if there's you know we know about the 30 Nba coaches we and we can generalize certain things about them pops a great coach and th- things like that we don't know that much about these european coaches what if there's a european coach that's a nut and he, he's crazy <laughs> and he's using these guys in some totally goofy way we can't really capture that kind of stuff and that i think those types of variables always are going to play a little bit more
1: that's actually one of the reasons why and i don't want to characterize all european coaches because i think that you know there are they are all different but i'm interested to see how david blatt does next season and obviously he'll have lebron james and kevin love and, and the players that he does have but i'm interested to see how his system works in the nba um and, and a little bit with the Torre messina with the spurs although obviously they have a very specific system that they can you know that he fits they're more Popovich in. rather yeah. than a tory messina but yeah. i think it's still going to be interesting to see how those guys european coaches fit in the league um, of course, Quinn Snyder coached
0: internationally too. He, I almost think of him that way, like not huh. not completely, but he, he was definitely b- born and bred and raised in an American type system. But I almost think of him as one of those more out- generally outside the box coaches, just because he's had time there.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, um, with Rodney Hood, though, I also kind of share Lane's skepticism because there is that data. You know, it's not just the international prospect; it is there's the college prospect and we have a lot of evidence that he's not really good at anything besides shooting and if that shooting goes away then you know he's not much and even if it is just shooting then maybe he's a player on the level of a Steve Novak who mm-hmm. is a great shooter but doesn't really get the minutes because he doesn't have any secondary skills to help him out
0: the the thing the reasons why I do still have a little bit of optimism Lane uh, mentioned it briefly is the, the pick and roll he uh, Hood was really really good running the pick and mm-hmm. roll which is something that you know we know how important that is in the NBA and especially for the type of offense the Jazz are going to put in and you hope that long term as if he remains a piece of that sort of that wing rotation that you can you know everyone knows my high opinions on Burks as a defender. Hayward is supposed to be developing pretty well as a defender here in the next few years, and you hope that you can put him in as part of a rotation where occasionally some of his his weaknesses there are covered a little bit. You can put him on the weaker wing, things like that, and you hope to sort of mitigate some of his weaknesses while emphasizing his strengths.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. You just have. I worry about especially also the defensive end and whether or not he can become a winning player. You know, you hope so with the wingspan and the athleticism that he can figure it out, but he did in Duke with yeah. a pretty good coach. So and, yeah, I, very I, good teammates, I yeah. think you know, it's 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 a
0: question mark. It's a big one. So
1: Anyway, uh, let's get into the crazy trade idea of the week. You've got an internationally themed one for us.
0: Yeah, semi-internationally themed here. Uh, and this is a, this is going to be based because in the theme of Lane's models because we just had Lane on the show. Okay. Now, so this is uh, this is a trade the Jazz are going to send. And unfortunately, it's the second straight week we sent Exum. I do love you. <laughs> I, I love you, Dante. We're not really going to send you in any trades. But just we had to do an international trade today. So this would be that the Jazz are going to send Exum to Boston for Mr. Marcus Smart coming back. And... And the reason why is because Smart, both in terms of NCAA and his ter- his time in international, has been much more highly valued by Lane's models. So um, this is just a straight one for one swap. Straight one for one swap. Okay. Um, I had er- some other players earlier, but I miss mixed up their teams, and they don't actually play. For- one of them actually doesn't play for Boston. Can we so, trade
1: uh, for the advanced rights for Dragon Bender? Yes, like, that's <laughs> part of it.
0: That's part. We trade for Boston's 2017 pick that we guarantee is going to be Dragon. Bender, yeah, that seems so. reasonable.
1: Look, yeah. okay. So first of all. You know, obviously the Jazz could have drafted Marcus Smart and didn't Yeah, yeah. So three this months is, ago. You know, but right. so you're saying, so since then, there's been new information, though, in Summer League and the World Cup that might say, you know, maybe Marcus Smart is a better prospect overall.
0: Or or actually, you know what, the way I should have put it was that the Jazz also get a pick out of Boston or something like that. Because if they were really making this trade. And a 2017 pick. And a 2017. So a, a next year's first rounder and a 2017 pick. So because... Boston might do that. The, I honestly, I, I if you think about it, and of course the Jazz would never even consider something like this, Exum's going to be the future cornerback cornerstone now but if they were in that kind of a mode or if it you know if he was going to his agent and whining about playing in utah because he didn't want to or something which of course he hasn't done then i think this would be the type of thing the jazz could maybe even look into now smart is really well rated by lane's models both in uh, both i mean not like super super duper star but he's he's definitely well rated i'm trying to find his let's see 8.2 average ewp that's between both ncaa and international and that puts him in the top Definitely in the, in the top 10 and out, out, some of the highest of those guys that were drafted in, in the real top 10 this year.
1: So to compare, Dante Exum was a 4.6 by Lane's yeah. model. So that, again, that's a, estimated wins projected. So that's about how many wins he'll add to
0: a team in, in his peak season. Is that correct? Yeah. And so that's you know, not quite double, but nearly double. And that's, a, that's <laughs> yeah. a pretty big, that's a big gap. And, you know, Smart's got a lot more things that we already know, f- not for sure, for sure, but pretty confidently know about him we know he's going to be a pretty excellent defender in the NBA if not like an elite defender we know the things he can do he's he's got some of the same shooting issues that Exum does I I think that if the if the Jazz got some extra compensation in a scenario where they felt like they had to move Exum wouldn't be the worst move in the world of course not going to happen because Exum's not going anywhere
1: yeah I I think that's fair and I you know, obviously, again, this is the second week in a row we've traded Dante X. I mean, we're sad about it. Although, I never, I feel bad because then I don't apologize for Ennis Cantor. I feel like every trade idea I have involves him somehow. So, I'm sorry, Ennis. Um, but, I, I just think, I don't know that, A, Boston's going to make that trade for the same reason the Jazz wouldn't. But then I also just think maybe Dante Exum has a higher variability about him than oh, Marcus Smart just because, you know, Marcus Smart played in college for it was a two seasons mm-hmm. and so, you know, you have a good level of stati- statistical evidence about him. Sure he's going to translate into the NBA, but you know, he only has an 11% chance of becoming a star or sorry, a 14, 14% 14. chance. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Dante Exum is one of those guys who could become a bust or a bench player just because, you know, he doesn't end up developing beyond what he is now and i think he's pretty clearly shown in summer league and the world cup that he's not a impact player in the nba right now yeah but he could because he has the physical tools to do so he's got the speed he's got the height he's got the athleticism he could become a absolute star in the nba like a russell westbrook and so there's more variance there um and i think for a franchise like the jazz who have several kind of known second tier quantities like gordon hayward and Derek favors um they almost would want that star potential over maybe a higher average outcome in marcus smart yeah
0: i was i was kind of going to say it's the it's it depends on your level of risk aversion and and that that ties into team construct and the way you're trying to build your team and yet you're i think you're very you're you're right you're pretty spot on there the jazz have several guys in the fold right now who at least to a a pretty large extent we know what they are and that's that's good. You'd be knowing what guys are is good, but at the same time, you have a maybe he's not for sure, but you have a chance of this guy who could really become something transcendent. Where uh, not that Smart couldn't become transcendent, but I think his range, as you're saying, on both ends is way smaller. His ceiling is way lower, or not way lower, but lower, and his floor is significantly higher.
1: Yeah, I think it's less likely. And it, it, you just look at how teams are able to win or at least contend in the NBA, and then you just need that first team All NBA or second team All NBA guy. Again, I find it really unlikely Marcus Mart becomes that guy. I find it more likely that Dante Exum becomes that guy a few years down the road. It's going to be Alec Burks. Or Alec Burks. I think, honestly, Alec is a decent... Candidate for it, although again we have three seasons of him in the NBA and kind of know what he is all about. I think Dennis Cantor honestly might have a higher
0: highest chance of being an All Star than any other player on this roster. That's a very interesting statement. That's I I like the line. I don't know how much time we would necessarily have to go. We down have that. none. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's honestly like you totally could be right. There's the there's. There's an an entire chance that the issues that he's been having are all completely fixable and that the maximization of the certain skills he does have hasn't happened at all. You could could argue those two things, and I think you could make yourself a decent case. People would argue with you currently because the results aren't there, but you could make a case.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's fair. I mean, again, I'm not saying right now, I'm not saying based on his performance last season, but just, again, variation, I think, is something that you have to take into account. When you're evaluating a, a roster and trying to plan for the future, crazy things might happen, and it's probably smart to plan for them rather than not.
0: Could become a 40% three-point shooter, and then all of a oh. sudden we're wondering what's going on.
1: I mean, memo occur. New Jazz ambassador yep. is the it made an All-Star team, so I I, I think that might be a path for for Enes Kanter. Anyway um thanks again for joining us on the show next week we'll have a whole bunch of stories from me playing in the media training camp so oh yeah that's awesome next wednesday i'm excited basically if you haven't heard quinn snyder is going to be running us media members through a coaching uh, a practice just like they would the rest of the roster so i'm going to be revealed as awfully out of shape and bad at basketball i would
0: pay money to watch <laughs> that with my own two eyes oh man
1: uh, you only get to hear about it afterwards and yeah believe me there's going to be a filter so oh, yeah um, anyway, join us next week for that. Thanks again for listening this week. Thanks again for, to Lane Vasho for joining us. Check out his work at lanevasho.com and check out our work at saltcityhoops.com.